Readers, it's Anne with some late breaking news. I have hot off the press details to share about my appearance at Malaprop's bookstore in Asheville, North Carolina on Saturday, November 4th. That night, Malaprop's will host us for What Should I Read Next Live. This is the furthest east we've ever had a What Should I Read Next event. It will begin at 6 p.m. It's free. It's open to the public. I hope to see you there. Happy reading. I had, I had one person specifically ask, um, what is your metacognition when it comes to recommending books? Um, what's your process, especially when there's so many different kinds of readers and there's so many different kinds of books and you can't possibly have read all of them? How do you narrow it down or how, do you, how does your little mental Dewey Decimal System work? What does metacognition mean? Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 101. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading, and most weeks, we do a little literary matchmaking with one guest, but today, we are marking a big milestone. We now have 100 episodes behind us, and to celebrate, we're bringing you a -a one-of-a-kind episode taking a look back. Today, we're going to get into our origin story, share highlights and a few bloopers and some so-bad-they're-good negative reviews that made me really unhappy a year ago, but I've gotten over it, tackle some frequently asked questions, spotlight our favorite moments, and I'm honestly not sure what's coming next because our producer, Brenna Frederick, is back to surprise me with some questions and comments and reviews she's gathered from you, thanks to our shout-outs on Instagram and in the newsletter. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I know it's going to be fun. Brenna, thanks for joining me again. Hi, Anne. It's good to be back. Brenna, this is your third time, fourth time. How many times have you been on the show? I want to say four. This will be the fourth. Excellent. I just know that it's always so fun to chat with you on the show and that we've gotten a great response to these episodes. So thanks for coming back. Oh, that's that's very sweet of everyone. Brenna, you joined the What Should I Read Next team over a year ago now. So I think we were about six months in, maybe seven, I think it was August. Do you remember which episode was your first? I think the first one that I, that I definitely had a hand in producing was number 35, I believe. Um, with, with Catherine. Yes, yes. Catherine willis Percy. Yeah, that was so that was the first one I produced. And then I think the first one that I listened to was just a little bit earlier in the what should I read next canon? It was either episode 30 or episode 31. So either Adam Werner or Amy Johnson. I remember I did listen to both of those early on because I was really attracted to the one with Adam Werner because he's an audiobook narrator and I have a little bit of experience in that field. And it was just fascinating. It was like, wow, this this seems like a space that I can relate to. Like, And I got really excited about the possibility of working with you. Adam Verner has one of my very favorite What Should I Read Next moments. Can I say this now? Yes, say it. Where he just made mention of once he was narrating a book where one of the characters, according to the author, had a voice that sounded like steel dipped in fire or something like that. So I put him on the spot and said, can, can you say something in a voice like that? And it was a little, it was a little like do your trick for me. But he was super gracious and did. And <laughs> it was it was a great moment. There's these wizards whose voices are described as 
steel, you know, steel wrapped in flame. <laughs> um, okay. Tell me that it's nice outside in a voice that sounds like steel wrapped in flame. <laughs> it's nice outside. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I actually just listened to the very first uh, one through eight or one through ten episodes of the show for the first time ever last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were a little shorter back then, weren't they? They were so much shorter. Well, the original idea was that it was going to be a 20-minute show, always and forever. I really wanted to ask guests, like introduce them very, very briefly. Ask them three books they love, one book they hate, and what they're reading now. And I was going to do three recommendations. Boom, boom, boom. 20 minutes in and out. That didn't last. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't last. I think there's a really good balance with where we are right now. I'm glad you think so. No one complained when they got longer. In fact, like one of the reasons we did was that I always found myself wanting to chat more with the guests in the beginning because so many people have such interesting backgrounds and experiences. I mean, forget so many people. It's it's great to talk to readers and every reader is different. And every reader has, this sounds so cliche, but it is absolutely true. Like every reader has great stories about their reading life and the history of their reading life and what they love and why, and just really interesting stories about the role reading plays in their life, whether they're a like biochemical engineer or an audiobook narrator or a literary agent or, you know, no matter what they do. And it's the diversity of those experiences that I think are so interesting. But if all you hear are the three books they love, you never get into it. So here we are with our 45 minute to 65 minute episodes. Yeah, I think that's what makes the show feel a little bit like a community is that everybody's sharing their stories. And there's there's always something. I mean, we have reading to tie everybody together. And there's all these diverging experiences and tastes and everything. But in almost every episode, there's something that you can relate to as a reader to this other reader. And it just makes it feel like a very, like a very safe, inclusive space for readers of all kinds. And I think that that element of the show is so much stronger with an introduction where we get to know the other readers. And I think that's pretty cool. So I have not listened to the first, second, or eighth episodes in a very long time. So did it sound like the same show? Yes, it sounds absolutely like the same show. It even has the same music and everything, which um, I was very pleasantly surprised at. There's The first episodes and the episodes now are still very cohesive. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but okay. It's a good thing. Yeah, Will was just saying the other day, that's my husband. And he was actually on the show. He was in episode 61 when the plot comes full circle. It was almost a one year anniversary episode because he was the original. What should I read next? Guinea pig. I, I remember that, but I didn't know you were recording. We don't typically record with kids around. Wait, we totally recorded and we might have, did we play it back in the car? I, hope, I don't remember. I, not. <laughs> I still remember your hate. I don't really? remember your loves. I understand now what everybody has a hard time coming up with a hate is tough. So I'm really curious what my old hate was. Like I had the idea for the show in the summer of 2015 and we were on a road trip together and we were in the Pennsylvania mountains and we set a timer. And before we got started, I asked him, tell me three books you love and one book you hate what you're reading now. And we did like a trial run through episode and it was like 22 minutes and 
in that episode 61, we talk about what he loved and what he hated in the original episode, because I cannot remember off the top of my head, but he was there when it began. And, um, but he was just saying like, you know, this music has aged really well because sometimes show music does not age well. Also, it's really kind of, it's a good thing it has aged well because it's not unusual for myself or one of my children to be walking around the house in the morning going like, bum, 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 ba dum, is we're like making our oatmeal or brushing our teeth. So the music hasn't changed in all these 100 episodes. Um, has anything about your approach changed since the beginning other than, um, other than just length? Oh yeah, for sure. At the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. So it gave me a lot of security to hew closely to a format. So the the three books you love, one book you hate, and I would recommend three books. And I wasn't really sure how to go beyond that. I didn't want to go beyond that at first. And I don't know. I think it took me about six months to realize the podcast can be what the podcast needs to be to be a great experience for everyone involved. But looking back, I do have a few regrets about that. Like after our very first episode, I got an amazing email. What happened was one of the books I recommended to Jamie Golden, um, I would love to have her back on the show because she deserves more than an 18 minute episode. Actually, all those early people do. Hers was a hoot. I loved it. Oh, she's hysterical. She's one of my favorite people. My final pick for you is Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. So Bel Canto, I haven't read all her stuff. I've read maybe 40% of her work. And Bel Canto is my favorite thing I've read by her. This sounds like an improbable plot, but she fuses opera together with a hostage crisis. Oh, I love it. it So I recommended the book Bel Canto to her by Anne Patchett, and she really loved it for the record. Which, which was great. But my favorite thing that happened after that episode was I got this email from a listener. And at the time, I just wasn't at all sure what to do with it. But it meant a lot to me. And there was a great story in that email. And it was worth sharing. And that episode meant a lot to this listener. But I just didn't know at the time what to do with this information. And if you're listening and that was you, I want you to know how much I thought about this email. Even now it's been almost two years later. And here's what happened. The book Bel Canto is based on a true real life, actual news event hostage crisis. And Ann Patchett borrowed that event, moved it to a different country and created her own story out of that historical event. But I got an email from a listener that said, oh my gosh, like my neighbor was an ambassador at at the time that actual event happened. And he was there and was involved with the negotiations with the guerrillas. I think that was in Japan. And she said that she didn't know that much about it, but she was inspired to dig deeper after listening to that episode. And I thought, I mean, she said that her worlds just collided when she was listening to that podcast and thinking about her neighbor. And I just thought that was such a cool story, but I didn't know what to do with it. But after some time had gone by, like now I know what I would do. Like I would tell you all all about it if it was okay with the reader for me to share that email. But I think my approach has loosened a lot and I was afraid at first that that wouldn't serve the show well, but some readerly stories are much better shared with other readers. And now I've begun at least, I mean, I still don't have a great grasp, but I've begun to understand how to do that with our listeners. That's really, really cool. 
Yeah. Like we've heard so many great stories because of the, the books we've talked about and the readers we've talked to on the show. Like it's amazing. The, the windows that books open into people's lives. Again, it sounds like such a cheesy cliche, but it is so totally true. So Jamie Golden was our first guest. And like we've said, there have been so many different kinds of people on the show. Do we want to talk a little bit about the variety? Yeah, let's do it. And we can answer a frequently asked question while we're at it. Lots of people want to know, do we keep track of who's been on the show? Do we keep track of the books we've talked about? And the short answer is yes. We do keep a spreadsheet. It's just a Google Drive doc. And at first we just tracked what I recommended in the show because we really don't want to duplicate those unless a book is just begging to be recommended that's already been on the show because there's so many good books to talk about. And I really want to have a wide variety of readers and listeners and experiences and titles and authors and genres and all that jazz. At first, we didn't track the guest favorites and the guest hate, but we started doing that at episode 17 and we have not gone back and filled in. Brenna, I could have given you homework if I'd known you were going to listen to the first eight, but then I would have been mortified knowing that you were actively listening. So I think it all worked out for the best. <laughs> so I'm scrolling down that spreadsheet. When we started, I talked to people that I knew in some way, shape or form for the first 10. And then we started branching out and we've talked to, let's see, our youngest guest was, I think eight years old. That was my daughter, Lucy in April of 2016. And I'm not going to say who our oldest guest is, but we've talked to, I think one listener in her seventies and several in their 60s. We tried to have a variety of ages, variety of genders. We've had a nice variety of nationalities. Yeah. Uh, we've had a guest from ROG. Uh, we've had a guest. We have an upcoming guest from Australia. Oh, one funny story. So I talked to one guest, Julie Smith, in episode 32, and she was in, she might have been in London, actually, but I was talking to her over Skype and the connection was terrible. And I thought, oh, this is such a drag. It's, you know, it's awesome to talk to guests internationally, but there are problems sometimes. And it's true, there are problems sometimes. But what we finally figured out was that my earbuds, which had been on the fritz for a while, had finally just died. And so all these connection problems that I thought we were having disappeared magically when I switched headphones. And I thought, oh, you know, it is a big world and communication is hard, but sometimes you just need a new pair of $5 earbuds and all will be well again. What do you do that they moved you to London to do your job? So I work in marketing consulting and my clients' global headquarters are here. So my company said, will you please, please, please move to London? And I said, okay, fine. <laughs> we talked to a married couple and recommended books for them to talk together in episode 37. That was a very popular listener favorite. Yes, that was a big favorite of mine. It was just fun. It was just fun to produce. It was a, a totally different kind of energy, I think. They were really fun to talk to you. That's Kristen and Kurt. Uh, we had Kid Week last November where we camped out on children's literature, whether it's for kids or for grownups for a week. Um, we've talked to bookstore owners. We've talked to people who work in a variety of ways in the publishing industry. We've talked to people who adamantly have jobs that have absolutely nothing to do with the publishing industry. We've really tried to talk to a nice range of people and we continue to take submissions from a nice range of people. We wish we could talk to everyone, but we are taking submissions all the time. That form is at what should I read next podcast.com slash guest. And I'd say that's how we talk to 
What percentage of our listeners do you think, Brenna? I would say at least 70. Is that is that a stretch? If you take out the first 20 episodes, I don't think so. So with having a variety of guests comes a a variety of tastes. And we are we're always getting really curious listeners asking I had I had one person specifically ask um, what is your metacognition when it comes to recommending books? Um, what's your process, especially when there's so many different kinds of readers and there's so many different kinds of books and you can't possibly have read all of them? How do you narrow it down or how do you how does your little mental Dewey decimal system work? Well, the process is always the same. My first thought is, oh goodness, I have no idea what to tell you to read. Then during our episode, I'll jot down like 20 titles that I think might be good. And then as we start chatting more in depth about a reader's tastes, I start crossing them off. And occasionally you'll hear me on the episode go like, oh, I can't decide between these two books or these three books or these four books. That is a great problem to have. But still, when we record every episode, I think, what? if I just can't come up with a single book for them to read. And that terrifies me. So here's a little bit more about our process. In advance, guests on the show tell me three books they love and one book they hate. They usually don't tell me what they're reading now. And they often, at least half the time, will change those books on the fly. And sometimes they'll ask me at the beginning of the episode, they'll say like, oh, like I just finished this book last week that was amazing. Um, Can I swap it in? Or they'll say, I, I totally forgot this book existed. And then I was looking at my Goodreads or I was talking with a friend or I was in a bookstore and I remembered and thought, how could I have forgotten that title? It's one of my lifetime favorites. Can I swap it in? But usually what happens is it's it's like we never talked before and they'll just, they'll just surprise me with their titles. And that's fine. Like, because I want readers to be able to speak from the heart about the books they love. And if that is what is on their mind that day, then that's the one they should talk about. But it does keep things interesting. But I I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that I try to find common underlying themes, not just read-alikes. Like, oh, if you love this World War II story about female spies, you should read this World War II story about female spies. We try to never do that on the show. But just find what it really is about a book that appealed to you and recommend another title that will appeal to that same thing. That's often what people are looking for too, is they're not necessarily looking for, I think anybody can look up like a list of World War II spy novels or something like that, but getting really to the heart of why people love a certain kind of book is I think something that makes the show special, especially considering um, you also ask people what they want to change in their reading life. And I think one of the most common answers that we've gotten on the show is that they want to break out of their bubble a little bit or diversify their reading. That seems to be one of the most common answers other than I wish I had more time to read. Oh, yes. Everyone wants magic wands and time turners and speed reading ability where you still read all the words. (sighs) Yeah. But I think if you're a serious reader, that's kind of a given. Like almost everybody wishes it were possible to read about 10 times as many books as they're currently reading. But yeah, I think you're right. People want to, they want to find the book that they would be so happy to read that they don't even know they're missing out on right now. And I respect that because that is me too, as a reader. So do you want to talk a little bit about the flip side of what people want to read, what they don't, what they maybe wish 
that they didn't read. We have a lot of <laughs> hated books are a really sort of controversial topic, like even with what should I read next format, because so many people, when um, they're going to be guests on the show, they're so they're very they're either afraid to name a hated book because they're afraid that people will disagree with them or they just really don't like the H word. And I respect that, too. When we started the show format, we use hate because it's snappy. But I do think it's very true that there are books that are just not for some readers. And something that is always running in the background of the show and the background of my mind is this quote from W.H. Auden, the British poet. And he talked about the five possible verdicts that an adult reader could have for a book they read. And they are this. I can see this is good and I like it. I can see this is good, but I don't like it. And really when we talk about a book that's not for you on the show, oftentimes that's what readers pick. A book that they can see was well done, but it is just not to their taste. Okay, back to Auden. I can see this is good. And though at present I don't like it, I believe that with perseverance I can like it. He's he's British. I think he says, I shall come to like it. Maybe, maybe you're reading The Merchant of Venice and you're like... I believe the Shakespeare dude had some good things to say and some of this I understand and it's really well written, but so much is over my head and I just don't, I can't like a book that I don't understand, but I think if I keep trying and keep learning, I will get it. That's what he's talking about there. And then he has categories I'm quite fond of and love to hear about on the show. I can see that this is trash, but I like it. Um, it can be badly done, but super fun for you to read anyway. And we love to hear about those on the show. And then I can see that this is trash and I don't like it. So when we talk about a book that you hate, it doesn't actually have to be one that you want to hurl across the room. What we just want to hear is a book that wasn't for you. Because hearing what's not for you is really, really helpful in defining, or at least <laughs> describing in some way, your taste. And that is really helpful for me when I'm recommending books, but that's also really helpful for you to be able to articulate what you like. Because if you can choose books that really will appeal to you, you'll enjoy your reading life more. And because everybody, I, um, I went to back to school night in my daughter's school and her seventh grade teacher was saying, look, everyone likes to read good books. No one likes to read bad books. And she's talking about seventh graders, but like adults don't like to read bad books either. But she didn't mean necessarily books that were awful. She meant books that don't appeal to you as a seventh grade reader. But if you don't know what good and not good means to you, then how do you find more good books for yourself? So on the show, we really try to help our listeners and our guests articulate what it is they like when it comes to their reading life. You mentioned in there, um, liking a book that's, you know, quote unquote trash. Do you have a favorite moment from the show? Someone talking about a favorite that's sort of like that? You know, I do always wonder what I love that he might, if I were to apply his definition, would describe as trash. And I do always wonder what a modern day Auden would think about Veronica Mars, because I love Veronica Mars. And I loved when Mallory Reese in episode 23, she was going on her honeymoon. She wanted great honeymoon books, but I loved that she loved the thousand dollar tan line. What is right. book three? Um, the Veronica Mars novel, the million dollar tan line by Rob Thomas. So and fun. I love the TV show Veronica Mars. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite binge-watching mm -hmm. TV shows. What do you from... love about it? What makes the show so great in your eyes? Well, Veronica Mars is a badass character. So mm -hmm. she is smart and witty and doesn't take anything from anyone. Mm -hmm. So it's hard not to love her. And 
I evaluate a book based on what it's trying to accomplish. And I think the $1,000 tan line nailed it when it came to fulfilling its reason for being. But it is definitely not like serious literature. And that's great. Well, it doesn't want to be. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't want to be like I think it does. And I feel this way, like personally, about a lot of Jane Austen retellings. I just finished a persuasion retelling that's not out yet, but it's about to have an anniversary. So, so many are being published this year that I don't think you'll be able to tell what it is if you go Googling. And I think I'm happy about that. But I am a sucker for a good Jane Austen retelling. And even if it's like objectively not amazing literature, it's still just a lot of fun for the right audience. And I love a book like that. And one of my favorite, what should I read next moments was Preston Yancey in episode eight, where he says that he just loves like a really, well, here, we're going to have to listen to him because he describes it so much better than I could. But he talked about what a great YA novel, like what a great example of the genre looked like and favorite moment. I, I loved that. I loved that episode a lot. Oh, it was so good. But it was also like all the things that a young adult novel should be. Which, which is? High gloss, a little trashy. <laughs> all the colors are super saturated. Um, you know, it's, it's pop art in a way. Uh-huh. And it's got real stuff. And yet the emotional heights are all the stakes, everything. Everything is life and death. There is an actual life and death moment in it. Like It's all, all up there. Um, but I loved it. Uh, speaking of how you approach your personal reading, um, we did get a couple questions about how you how you balance what you want to read, just as just as Anne the person, not Anne the professional, and things that you read to expand your wheelhouse or keep up with, you know, advanced readers' copies and things like that. How do you balance that in your personal reading life? Ooh, okay, it depends on the time of year. We are talking in October, and in. August and September, I think I read less than I have read in any two month period of my adult life because I had my book reading people came out on September 19th and I had another book due on September 14th and I was traveling some for work, but some just for personal reasons. And, um, it was bananas. The summer reading guide is really big on modern Mrs. Darcy. So that spills over onto what should I read next? Just because I read so many of the titles coming out for that season, especially early summer and late spring. Um, But I don't read as much um, for what's coming out in the fall and winter months. So my reading is very cyclical. I do, I do try to read widely, like for my own personal benefit. I think it's good to get outside of your genre rut that many of us tend to gravitate towards. But also for for the sake of the my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, and for the podcast, I really believe in reading widely. And we've talked a lot on the show about why that is and why a lot of readers feel that way. Is there, is there a time of year that you feel you get the most personal reading done? Reading that isn't necessarily motivated by anything, anything professional or anything, you know, um, anything to do with your own writing or anything like that. When, when would you say you get the most just enjoyment personal reading mm-hmm. done? It's between October 1st and Christmas before the summer reading arcs really kick in 
and after the summer reading guide has been out for a few months and also late summer. Like I feel like I do all that work early summer to get ready for the summer reading guide. And then late summer, I can read whatever I want. And I do, I do love, um, I mean, I love reading, so I don't want to make it sound like it's a hardship, but I do take fewer chances on like advanced review copies those times a year than I would in late winter, early spring. And for those of you who think I'm crazy, like, why would that be a bad thing? The upside of reading those advanced review copies is if there's a book you're looking forward to, no reader would be sad. And if you are, like, I want to hear about it because that would be an interesting story. But most readers are not sad to get the opportunity to to be able to read that now instead of counting down the next like three years, the next Outlander novel or one year to the next Louise Penny novel. Like if you're, especially if you're waiting on like a book from your favorite author or a series you love, like waiting is hard, especially in the era of the Netflix binge. But it's also, it also can be challenging to vet books before other readers have read them. And something I've really realized from reading early is how much I rely on other readers' recommendations to find great books instead of publisher sales copy. And that's, I mean, it's cool, but it's also a lot of work. It's not a bad kind of work, but it is still work. It's the kind of work that makes you take eight novels on a three-day beach trip because you're not sure if any of them are going to be any good. But I worry about that much less yeah, between now and Christmas and late summer. That's so interesting because uh, for you, it must be that um, you kind of don't have the benefit of a resource like like this podcast or like other people's blogs or um, whatever for advanced readers' copies. That's that's so fascinating. I'd never thought of it that way. Another person asked how many books you can read at one time. Um, and they personally read up to seven in a rotation of 100 pages at a time, which is very, um, I don't know. I like the clean systemic nature of that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I usually do seven. Um, these days I usually have one fiction, one non and one audio book. Although at this very moment, I also have one children's book also going like I'm reading, I'm reading an adult like contemporary literary fiction novel. And I'm also reading Sharon Draper's Stella by Starlight. So those are both fiction, but they're different enough that I am not in danger of getting them confused. Is that, um, is that a system that works for you because of your personality or you like having something to dip into just however the mood strikes you? Or is it because you need that versatility where like whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, um, wherever you are, you're able to read something, whether it's an ebook or an audiobook or a children's book that's not too heavy. Can I just say yes? I think a little bit is personality and because I do want to read stuff that I'm in the mood for. And a little bit is honestly sleep habits. Like I love to read businessy productivity books. And this is true for me now. And it was true for me when I was 18, but I don't want to be reading those at bedtime. I want to be reading fiction at bedtime. So it works for me to have a book that's for when I'm driving an audiobook and a book that's for to read before bed and a productivity book that I want to read, but I don't want to read at 10 o'clock at night. That works for me. And that's just a system I found over time. It's like you have a fully, a fully saturated reading life. I think I like the sound of that. <laughs> uh, we got a comment on Instagram from someone named Ashley who said, I only found your blog and then your podcast two months ago and I've become a podcast addict. 
I had thought that in an age when a lot of darkness and scary things were happening in the world that I should only listen to NPR or political podcasts on my commute to work and found that it was making me feel stressed, powerless, and unhappy. Your podcast has helped me re rediscover my love of reading, but has also given me some peace on my drive. Um, could you discuss the role of reading in hard times? And when do you suggest books to learn and when to read books to escape? That is a really great question. Because with your reading life is in so much of life, you can choose to really lean into those hard moments. And you can choose to escape to an altogether different place, like a fictional world that has their own fictional problems, or into like, oh, I don't know, I'm thinking about a, like you could escape into uh, like a breezy kind of romance or into like a children's fantasy or to a world where the like the wind in the willows could be like a magical escape novel. That's a good question. I think it's one that's really personal. For a lot of people, reading can be a safe or safer space to engage with issues that are really challenging. And I do want to say that I understand that being able to choose to engage with uh, tragedy or crisis or devastating human events to be able to choose is a immense luxury. And I want to recognize that. Um, but there are, and there are readers. Oh, cause you know, for, for some people, the, these horrifying fictional events that some of us are choosing to read about are the actual nonfiction real lives of a lot of people. And, as readers, like we have to keep that in mind. But if we do have the luxury of choosing to engage, um, so the question is when to do that. That's a really hard question. And it be, just because it's so individual, I can't answer that for everybody. But I do know for me personally, that keeping it in some sort of balance is really a good thing. Like, if I am having a really hard day in my off the page life and I'm feeling completely beaten down by the world, that is maybe not the time to engage on the page, whether that's reading fiction or nonfiction about likewise devastating events, whether we're reading about actual issues or about someone's very unhappy fictional life. But reading is such an excellent way to to educate ourselves and to experience things through the written word that we don't have the opportunity to experience in our, our actual off the page life. And I, I do like the nature of this question that like assuming that engaging is good and how, what is the balance? A lot of this is really personal. Um, I've talked to people on the podcast who have said, I can read about other people's problems all day long. It doesn't bother me. And I've talked to other people who say like, I just can't handle reading about the hardship in the world on the page, even if it is completely fictitious because it makes me feel broken and beaten down. So I realize that's a non-answer, but like, li listen to yourself. And I, but I would say like, push yourself gently, like just because it's not comfortable doesn't mean it's not okay. But if it's truly not okay for you, I think you're going to, to feel yeah. that. I know that, um, this has been a huge theme in my reading life this year. I've read a little bit differently just because of the amount of, the amount of stress and fear that's going around right now. And the way I've been sort of deciding how to, uh, choose something that will teach me or something that will inform me versus something that comforts me is when 
which is going to be the most constructive. So if you're having a day when you're really anxious or when you're really beaten down, like you said, is it going to be constructive right now to try to learn something? Or will it be more constructive to comfort yourself, calm down, feed yourself, nourish yourself a little bit so that you'll be ready in a couple days or next week or, um, you know, later today or, you know, five months from now to resume that learning or that sort of constructive reading or listening? That's a great way to put it. I really like that. It's a lot of self-understanding. I think, like you said, you got to get in touch with yourself. For sure. I got a great question from someone named Kelsey asking about um, your origin story, which I thought would be fun to talk about today. And Kelsey asked, did you have any self-doubt when you were getting started? And if so, did you, how did you overcome that? Wow, that is a good question. And I don't think it's one I've gotten before. So I started blogging in 2011, and I never meant to start a book blog, but quickly we started talking about books and reading a lot. And over the years, I kept getting one question over and over, and that was, can you recommend a great book? And what should I read next? Listeners know that that sounds like a really straightforward question, but like, great how, great for who are questions that you'll quickly want to follow up with if you've ever tried to recommend a great book to someone or ask another person for a great book recommendation. So with this in mind, one random Sunday morning, I put up this post kind of on a whim that was called something like literary matchmaking, personal shopping for books, whatever you want to call it, here goes. And I put out this call to ask readers. I told them that story about finding a great book and said, let's try something. How about you tell me three books you love, one book that wasn't for you and what you're reading now, and I'll recommend three books you should read next. And we got 200 comments the first day, which was a lot in 2014, considering our readership. It would be actually really be a lot in 2017 when nobody comments anymore, supposedly. But so we, we closed comments. And one week at a time, I'd answer a few people's literary matchmaking requests. And I, I love that, but I didn't love it because, well, it was fun, first of all. But I also found myself wanting to ask follow-up conversations, but I didn't want to send each reader like 19 emails about, well, have you read this? Have you read that? What do you think about this? What did you mean by this? I just didn't. So it was fun, but it was also kind of frustrating. Like I wish that we were just sitting down having coffee and not 800 miles away trying to do this via technology. And simultaneously, I kept thinking like, oh, I'm really intrigued by podcasting. I really like podcasts. I wonder if I could ever have a podcast, but I didn't just want to do like the modern Mrs. Darcy show. And finally, one day after both these ideas had been kicking around for a very long time, it occurred to me that literary matchmaking should actually be a podcast where you can talk to someone in real time and if it occurs to you to think like, well, what did you mean by that? Well, have you read the specific book? Well, would you ever be willing to try fill in the blank? You could ask them and get their response and move forward with that information. And basically, that's how What Should I Read Next was born. And, oh, this is the self-doubt part. I mean, we didn't know if it was going to work or take off or if anyone would listen, but by the time we launched the show in early 2016, I had five years under my belt of trying and failing things on the internet. So I'm sure I did, but that was no longer this big, scary thing. Like, 
by then I'd learned that it is totally okay to try something and have it bomb because whether it succeeds or it fails, you still get an answer like this worked or this didn't, and then you can move forward. So, I mean, we started with the idea that it could totally be a three week project and then we would shut the book on that and be done, but that was okay. So self-doubt for sure. I mean, and still every week we're like, um, guys, we're just making it up as we go. Yep. That's kind of the podcast world in a nutshell. I think we're sort of making this up as we go. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really fun and liberating and freeing. But I mean, readers, if you think we have some master plan, like nailed to my wall. For sure. No. (laughs) Can confirm. Hard no. Yeah. So speaking about self-doubt, how about bad reviews or negative comments? Like, how do you deal with that? Honestly, I deal with that by not reading them. You all, Brenna reads every single review. And I listen to podcasters say, we read every single review. I, I don't read those reviews. I find them to be sometimes humorous, but also bad for the soul. And I don't want them to like inflate my ego either. Yeah. So there were a couple memorable ones. So bad. They're good. Like I could almost laugh it off, except they tanked my iTunes rating pretty early on. So Brenna, you're standing guard over those, right? Because when listeners said, I hope you'll share some favorite reviews, I immediately knew because they'd been like scarred into my brain. Oh, yes. Yes, we have two that I just want to like cross stitch and hang on a wall. I do have to say, though, if you are ever like, imagine that you are a podcaster chatting with other podcaster about memorable moments, getting a two-star review because you told everybody an office spoiler from an episode that aired like 11 years ago. It's a great, it's a really great story. Do you have that, Brenna? Can you read it? I do. Uh, This is from March, 2016. I know it's a super old show, but I have purposefully avoided spoilers for the office and was super successful. And one of these episodes ruined it for me. Frowny face. I have to go two stars because of the spoilers. I do not even remember (laughs) what episode it was or why we were talking about it. I don't think I've heard that episode. I can think of some likely subjects like Kendra Adachi, the lazy genius. She on her podcast, the lazy genius, she has actually borrowed the literary matchmaking model to do. What should I watch next with TV shows? So I could totally see us talking about friends. Maybe it wasn't her though. Kendra, if you're listening, we want an answer. (laughs) But so I can totally see how it would have come up because hearing what you like to watch can often be really informative about finding or recommending what you might like to read. But so I can see how we went there, but I don't remember why or when we did. We're going to have to um, link that in the in the show notes. I'm really curious to listen to the TV version. Very cool. It's a good one. Uh, We also have we have a review from also from 2016 in May or something that I kind of laugh at because there's a whole dialogue in the reviews about this one review. Like people are reading this review and responding to it in their own reviews. Really? Yeah. The, the, the original fabric softener review was that, and sounds like a commercial for a fabric softener. I had to unsubscribe, (laughs) 
which is a very original reason, I think, to unsubscribe from a podcast. That That is true. And you know, like, if you don't like somebody's voice, that's fine. But I'm sorry, this is how I talk. Most, there are so many reviews after that, that are people defending you. <laughs> They're like, that's why we love it. <laughs> there's a, there's a comment out there um, that, and I've also gotten this um, from friends that I've um, sort of referred the podcast to, who say that it's like an ASMR video, that you have a very calming, like soothing voice. So for some people, it's a big plus. That's hysterical. Okay, I never understood what people meant when they said this. Because they say this a lot. I get emails that say, you're my calming oasis in my crazy, my in my hectic commute. Or I just love to listen to the set. Like, could you read me the phone book so I could go to sleep? I'm like, this is just how I talk about the grocery list. What are you talking about? But then when I was traveling for work recently, I... Um, found myself in my hotel room, very, very tired, needing to pack. And I am a terrible packer and I don't do anything well when I'm tired. And I thought, how am I going to handle this and get all my stuff in this bag? And like packing up to leave a hotel room is not hard, but I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed after a big weekend. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to catch up on my podcast while I do this. And the one that I decided to listen to was Emily Freeman's new podcast, The Next Right Thing, which is a is for a specific audience, but I'm part of that specific audience and I really love it. And so I turned it on and Emily, I've been told we kind of sound similar, but not the same, but Emily has a really soothing voice. And she's talking about calming things. And so I turned it on and I was like, oh, Emily. And Emily's a friend. So I do actually know her, but I don't think I would have needed to know her for her to give me a little talk therapy. But I put it on and I was like, oh, this is so calming. And then I went, oh, wait, 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 wait. This is exactly what people mean when they say like, I just love the sound of your voice. As I go through my day. It's my island of calm. I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> I think that's something podcasts are so good at. Like, um, even if you don't know the person, if they have a voice you enjoy, it doesn't even have to be a soothing voice. I think if it's a voice you enjoy, um, it's like having a friend there with you and they're having a casual conversation, but there's no pressure on you to involve yourself in the conversation. <laughs> so it's like company, but lazier. <laughs> yes, it was like company, but lazier. And it was perfect. We've had several requests, actually, uh, for the recap episodes that we used to do, and we haven't done one of those in a while. Do you think that's in our future? I don't know. So I love doing those. I thought they were a lot of fun. But you all, honest truth, nobody listened to them. And they were an enormous amount of work, five times as much as a normal episode. And then we get in trouble with our podcast people for nobody downloading them. Something that has really surprised me about podcasting is how much what you title an episode matters. And I've watched friends sit with their iPhones, go like, I need to clear up some memory and scan down their Apple podcast app and just delete, delete, delete based on the title. And I do, I do that too, but really I should know better because I mean, Brenna, you and I talk about how this is the hardest part, giving it a title that's descriptive and accurate and enticing, but that doesn't sound like a nutrition facts label is really, really difficult. I mean, I delete podcasts based on titles too. Like I think, oh, I don't want to listen to that, but I should really know 
better. So it's possible that we're just giving those terrible, terrible titles and nobody downloaded them. So moving forward, it's possible we will try another recap episode in the future and title it more enticingly. Brenna, is that that I think that's possible. I think that's possible. Yeah, just like sneaking the vegetables in. But I think what we'd rather do, like I was talking earlier about that um, Bel Canto story, when we do get feedback from guests right away, uh, we're just trying to put that in the episode at, as we get it, just to share it when it's fresh. Because when we save things up, um, first of all, we forget. But second of all, nobody listens. All right. If we want to wrap up our mailbag, a couple uh, sort of general questions to do with some previous uh, some previous episodes. Yeah, let's do it. Because I love the mailbag questions. Brenna, we didn't have our first mailbag episode until fairly recently. I know. I felt like, are we going to have any questions left for this one? <laughs> we get questions all the time and we then usually answer them by email. And that's the end of it. But the mailbag is so fun. So we did that episode 89. If listeners want to go back and check it out, but we should really do that more regularly. We should. They're really and they're really enjoyable. Yeah, they're so fun. I mean, we hear from you all that they're fun, but they're also really fun for us. Yes. So we have a question from Chris and Chris says, silly question, but what erasers did you get for your kids at CW Pencil Enterprise? I always need good erasers. And that's referencing episode, what, 99 with Carolyn? You all, we got an amazing response to our last double digit as opposed to triple digit episode. It was so fun to talk to Caroline, the pencil lady. Chris, let me say that no question about pencils, reading or writing is a silly question. Truth. So what we got at CW Pencil Enterprise were the little pink cap erasers that you have seen at Target and Staples and Walgreens and elementary schools everywhere since you were probably a small child. But I don't know what they're selling at Target, but we got Caroline's version. And she told us in the store, like, you should buy these. They are better. You will tell the difference. And you can order them online. I'm looking at the website CW Pencils right now, and it's the first item under erasers and it is called the Arrowhead Rubber Eraser Cap. They are 15 cents. You can get a white version for 20 cents. But my seven-year-old, unprompted, said, Mom, what kind of eraser is this? It's way better than the ones I usually use. And if your seven-year-old can tell the difference, yeah, when it looks identical without you prompting them, like you have a winner. They also have lots of really adorable erasers that could like go in a stocking or um, be part of a birthday gift because they don't look quite so boring. Or you could just stock up on Arrowhead rubber eraser caps for life. I know I'm going to be getting so many like Christmas gifts off of. I think they're going to be so many crossword samplers in Christmas stockings this year. Yes. And uh, the left-handed sampler that they have. I got that for a friend for her like bridal shower because I was putting together a little thing that had like a five-year journal and stuff. That that one in particular, I think is so great. It was like the world opened up when she opened it. She was like, wow, 
left-handing, left-handed people that can write with pencils again. It's amazing. Brenna, you are a good friend. Okay, so also Caroline has this pencil box subscription, which is one of those boxes of surprise goodies that you see everywhere these days. It exists. So I found out when I signed up for Caroline's newsletter that this pencil box quarterly subscription exists and it was sold out and I signed up to be notified next time. So this past weekend, I was on a girl's weekend getaway with some friends and I checked my email, so you can judge me now, but I checked my email and I had this notification that said, the pencil box quarterly subscription has room for you. And that's not exactly what it said, but that's how I read it. And I was like, oh, where is my credit card? And I told my friend who was also, a pen, who said like, oh my gosh, I listened to this episode and I had no idea how much I needed to know about pencils. And she got her husband hooked. And so they were all like going totally down the rabbit hole. And she's like, oh, it's open. Where's my credit card? So we we took a break from our girls weekend of eating Trader Joe's brownies and watching House Hunters to to stop and get our pencil box subscriptions because yeah we've gotten hooked. I did the same thing last week. Are you serious? Because <laughs> you yeah. and I haven't talked about this. <laughs> she came on the show and she she made two like lifetime customers. I think, <laughs> but yeah, I signed up for it last week. I got the email and I was like immediately, where is my wallet? Where is it? <laughs> Like you can't hand it over fast enough. That was totally us. We were like, we are such dorks and we are completely okay with that. Yeah. So I'm sorry if anyone listening can't get a subscription. It is our fault. It's it's <laughs> our fault, but it'll ship again in March. Our next question is from Shannon and Shannon says, I'm hoping you can help me track down a couple of books that were mentioned over the last few months. I've been catching up on the podcast and Anne said her son had enjoyed a few books that were on his required reading list. I'm desperately looking for some recommendations for a teenage boy. I love this question. Also, I mostly love how I, we've gotten a lot of this question that said, what? He loved his assigned reading. First of all, that teacher is a miracle worker. And second of all, what were the books? I have a 14-year-old high school freshman, and he was assigned to read The Partner by John Grisham, which really surprised my husband and I. Yeah, that's unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. So first of all, we were surprised at John Grisham, and then like, why that specific one? But I'd never read it, but we found a co- Actually, my dad happened to have a used paperback, so when he found out that The Partner was assigned reading, he's like, whoa, here you go. This, like, this has been waiting for you. We all three read it and then could talk about it. The one that he really loved, like called it the best book he has ever read, and this was assigned reading, was And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. And he also really enjoyed The Moves Make the Man by Bruce Brooks. There you go. We should have a teenage boy on the show sometime. That that brings to mind a question I have, and that's is is there are there any types of reader that you haven't had on the show yet that you would love to get your interviewing hands on? Yeah, I'm I'm sure there are. And you know, a lot of times when Brenna and I are looking through the submissions, we don't realize what we're missing on the show until we see it. So we'll we'll get your submission and we'll go, Oh, we've never talked to somebody who loves this or who wanted this. And I know I've said this before, but I'm just going to keep saying it. Like we're looking for a really interesting mix of books. And then whenever somebody says something like I'm embarking on this certain readerly project, or I want this books for this specific purpose, or I really want more of fill in the blank in my reading life, like that always gets our attention, but we're really looking for a, 
books we haven't talked about before. And that could be your love. It could be your hate. We've had people that have said they just don't like whole categories of what's really trendy right now. We love that. Or that they really want to read more of something really weird and obscure. And it's definitely true that I feel really insecure. Like, I'm not sure I can help you here. But usually... I'm the one who gets thrown under the bus because we know the conversation will be interesting enough that it's worth and making a fool of herself so that readers everywhere can hear the reader we've never spoken to talk about the reading life. Yeah. And we always get so many good recommendations in the comment section. So if, if for any reason someone just hated all of your recommendations, which I don't think has ever happened, they can just, I tell, I tell guests when I email them like links and things when their show goes live. Um, I tell them specifically to go look at the comments because, first of all, our commenters are so sweet. And second of all, there's so many recommendations. Like, I'm like, you're going to get 10 more book recommendations at the very least if you go look at the comments. It's true. And that really takes the pressure off me. So listeners who have chimed in in the comments, thank you. <laughs> we, got, um, we got an email from Annette. Annette listened to the episode with Mary, episode 90, and Mary worked for the organization Girls on the Run, and now Annette works with Girls on the Run, too, um, after she heard about it on the show. Oh, that's amazing. So Yeah, and also, um, Annette said that her new book club uses the premise of What Should I Read Next as an icebreaker at their first meeting. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. We've heard from a couple of people who have had What Should I Read Next parties as well at book club, which I thought was super fun. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I want to come. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Something I've really loved since we started the podcast is just getting little stories of how What Should I Read Next has connected with listeners in their real lives. Like Amber wrote in and said that she had a favorite moment hearing about the podcast and randomly picking episode 28 to listen to first and hearing Crossing the Safety mentioned as a favorite. And time out from Amber, I just have to say in my defense, that is one of my favorite books. And I did not mention a teeny tiny anything about this book for a really long time. So, okay, back to Amber. She says, it's my all-time favorite and I knew I'd found a new home. Our family has recently made a cross-country move and it's been tough, but this podcast has been a bright spot amongst the hard. So we love hearing letters like that about how, about how connecting with the right books has really, truly made a difference in, in readers' lives. We love that. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it just makes it feel even more so like a community and not just an audience, if that makes sense. Yes, totally. That's a great way to put it. So should we talk a little bit about the future of the show? Okay, what's in the works? For forever now, we have been talking about doing a special episode about how, how readers organize their bookshelves. That is actually happening, and it will happen this fall. And then, okay, so I'm talking to, <laughs> here, we will preserve this for posterity. I'm talking to Gretchen Rubin tomorrow for, she was on our Kid Lit Week, but we didn't do an actual literary matchmaking episode. We're doing that tomorrow. And now you all, if real life happens and somebody gets the flu or pneumonia or moves to Texas on short notice, um, like sometimes our scheduled episodes don't go off as planned. So if that goes askew, awry, if that goes awry, 
that'll just be, you know, a glimpse behind the scenes into how podcasting really works. Um, we almost had her. <laughs> yes. We're talking to an Australian guest, which I'm really excited about. Um, my brain is still recovering from the mental gymnastics involved in changing or in setting up a time to record. Yeah, that was an adventure. In a country where it's already tomorrow. Yeah. We're talking to a whole lot of readers off off our guest submission forms. Yeah, we've got a lot of invites going out this week. Yes, yes, we do. I mean, not too far away is our second year anniversary, so we'll have to do something good. And if you have any ideas, you can hit us up. Yes, please. Do we have any do we have any other special episodes coming up that we've talked about, even if they're not fully formed ideas yet? <laughs> oh, we have lots of ideas. Our idea file is always bulging. Do you anticipate any more live shows? Because I know we had, after the first live show was such a hit, there were so many people asking, like, well, are you going to come here? Are you going to come here? Are you going to do a tour? Oh, well, actually, when we think about what's coming next, I am talking to some other podcasters about doing um, several live shows next year because we did do that with the podcast in the summer of 2017. And it was so fun. And then we did What Should I Read Next Live at the Novel Neighbor, the bookstore in St. Louis, also super fun. So we will definitely be doing more of that in the future. And then I have a I have a book coming out in the fall, so I'll be traveling a little more. I mean, I know it is the fall and I had a book come out, but next year I'll have a book coming out <laughs> in the fall and we will definitely plan some podcast live events around that. We get so many requests all the time for interesting episodes. Lots of people want to hear more kids. Uh, lots of people want to hear more industry. Lots of people only want to hear quote unquote regular readers for the rest of our podcast days. Um, we are just going to, continue to bring an interesting varied show that features readers all over the map and to patch together special unique strange episodes as inspiration strikes and as we can technically pull it off i'm sure that inspires all of you with conf yeah, confidence a, a well seasoned <laughs> exactly. a well seasoned podcast I like the sound of that I say that all the time. So we we need like a blooper reel of all the things Anne cannot stop saying. I can't wait to hear what you think. I like the sound of that. Let's get to it. <laughs> Just a super cut. Oh, that mean. would be painful. That would be really painful. <laughs> all right. While we're talking catchphrases, there is a quote you use at the end of every single episode. And I was wondering how that got incorporated or how, where that came from. Yes. Okay. So I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the quote from Reiner Maria Rilke that says to close every show. Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading, right? Yes, that's it. Okay. So here's the funny thing in the very, I think very first episode of what should I read next? Knox McCoy, our original producer who got us off the ground with the first 11 episodes asked me, hey, is there a great quote about the reading life that you have? Do you have like a dozen of them? Maybe we could choose a different one and say it every week. 
And off the top of my head, I knew a few of my favorites, and I still do. There's the one by Anna Quinlan that says, I would be perfectly content if my children grew up to be the kind of people who thinks decorating means building more bookshelves. Or like J.K. Rowling, books are a uniquely portable kind of magic, unless that's Neil Gaiman. I get them confused sometimes. But the first one I sent Knox was that quote from Rilke. And we liked it so much. Like, it just seemed so perfect to close out the episode. We never changed it. It is perfect. I love it. And what I didn't anticipate at the time, but I know now, is what it would be like to actually find and create this community of people who are reading. And I've always loved readers and book people, but getting to mingle among them every week has really inspired and reinforced my belief that book people are the best people. And it is so great to be among them. Yes, that's how we should. That's how we should end this episode. Just a toast to the reading community here. To the readers. And I love how many readers say when they listen to the show, like I have found my people. Yes. And I love that Rilke captures that. I didn't realize that he would be not only descriptive, but also prophetic, but I'm so grateful. And uh, I don't see us ever getting rid of him. Knock on something right now, but <laughs> he's too good to part with after one episode or 101. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, this has been fun. Brenna, thank you so much for coming back on to recap our, I think this is like our century episode or something like that. I don't do this very often, this whole 100 episode thing. So I don't know what we're really supposed to call it. But I know it's kind of a big deal for us and for our listeners. And I'm really glad that we can mark it in this way. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. I'll be here for the next special episode. In <laughs> <laughs> 100 and 100 more. <laughs> or a lot sooner than that. So actually, you will probably be back to talk about how, how readers organize their bookshelves which will be super fun. Very excited for that episode. Well, readers, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Head to the podcast site as always to tell us what you think, what you thought of our first hundred episodes, share your favorite moments. If there are any bloopers we missed that you listened to in the episodes, we think we probably want to hear about them. Probably. But Regardless, those show notes are at what should I read next podcast.com slash 101. That is 101. And it's where you'll find the list of titles. But today, more importantly, previous episodes and products and erasers that we talked about today. Readers, if you enjoy this podcast, this would be an excellent time at our century mark to rate or even better review it on iTunes. Even though we've been at this for 100 episodes, we still do not understand how the Apple podcast algorithms work. We just know that when you review our podcast and give it a rating, that helps other book lovers find the show. And we appreciate that so much. To podcasters, their love language is reviews. And thanks in advance for taking two minutes to show your support for the show. We appreciate it so much. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books which is how you know what's meant to be, right? B is in books, O-G-E-L, and tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading today and any other day. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for our very special episode. Thanks so much for listening today and 
all 100 episodes before. And as writer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. I've just stopped myself from saying I'm interested to hear what you think because I totally am, but I say that all the time. Almost simple blood. There's, <clears throat> did that word come out? It's allergy season around here.